Welcome to the Hacking Happy Podcast, a podcast designed to arm you with the tools and experiments that enable you to define happiness on your terms and inject more of it into each day. I'm your host, Penny Lacasso. I'm the world's first happiness hacker, and I have a bold mission, a mission to teach 10 million humans how to realize happiness on their terms by 2025. So if you're ready to ignite your self-belief and eject more of what makes you feel good into each day, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking Happy Podcast. This week, we're going to explore why we don't have to be alone together. Let me explain. Pre-COVID, I spent most of my time traveling, traveling the world speaking on stages and facilitating large groups in corporations to enable people to inject more of what makes them feel good into each day. Sounds logical given I'm a happiness hacker, right? I also used to share, and I still do, how one of the key barriers to experiencing happiness for many was the fact that globally we had a loneliness epidemic. I shared how unconsciously we had significantly diminished the amount of physical human connection we allowed into our days without realising how it impacted our mental health, our physical well-being, and our ability to build key skills for the future, like having difficult conversations and building empathy, which is something that many of us aren't great at anymore. And the science shows it's really hard to empathize with someone that you've never physically looked in the eyes before. I was so, so concerned about loneliness and the rise of it that I started an idea called Human Hour. Now, Human Hour was facilitated sessions to connect random strangers and enable them to have meaningful conversations that made them feel good. I wanted to reconnect people with the power of humanly connecting with one another rather than controlling and curating conversation by texting or avoiding it altogether by staring down at our phones in public places. Then COVID hit. I haven't stood on a stage or facilitated a large group in person now since March 2020. Yes, I've adapted and delivered loads of happiness via Zoom online sessions, but if I'm completely honest with you, the feeling is not the same. Whilst I knew from my work that a lack of human connection long-term was unhealthy, I never anticipated that I myself would fully feel loneliness when I had so many humans, good humans, around me. But the reality is I have felt loneliness and a lot of it since COVID hit. Five lockdowns and cutting off a massive human connection energy source for me will do that to you. Now, I'm not alone in the traditional sense of the word. I'm surrounded by people who love me. But most of the time, that's virtually. The reality is my feeling lonely is not an isolated event. I'm not the only one feeling that way. For me, the feeling of loneliness in my body resides in my heart and it's driven by a lack of physical human connection. It's driven by feeling disconnected from community and equally disconnected from the leaders that run the wonderful country that I live in. So today I thought we'd have a conversation, an honest one, about my loneliness, perhaps your loneliness, and explore how it impacts us and perhaps a couple of simple ways to start to help us make a shift. Now, 
My loneliness always makes me curious. Whenever I have feelings, I always get curious. And so my curiosity around it led me to a recently published book, which, to be honest, has blown me away. It's by academic Narina Hertz, and it's called The Lonely Century, A Call to Reconnect. I will pop in the show notes access to grab this book if you want to. I would highly recommend it. Or to go the short version and listen to a podcast with Narina, which is what kick-started my curiosity about her work. Now, the reason I share this book is because whilst it is disturbing It truly is a must-read. It is jam-packed with insights that are all research-based and form an interconnected spider web of human self-sabotage. The first thing Narina does is challenge the traditional definition of loneliness. In her words, I define loneliness as both an internal state and an existential one, personal, societal, economic, and political. Simply put, the reason people like me and perhaps you feel alone, even though we're not physically alone, is because we feel physically disconnected from ourselves, our communities, often now our work, and equally our governments. Many of us don't feel seen, perhaps not heard, represented, or like we belong if we show up as who we truly are. I wonder if any of this resonates with where you're at or how you've been feeling in the pandemic. What's perhaps most disturbing in Narina's research is a couple of things. First and foremost, it's that we have gradually become a society of me as opposed to we, believing that if we don't look after ourselves first, no one else will. This has played out in the evolution of our language, quite simply. Narina shares words like belong, duty, share and together have been increasingly supplanted by individualistic phrases such as achieve, own, personal and special. Even song lyrics in the past 40 years have shifted with I and me more often than not replacing we and us. Loneliness has become so pervasive that there are currently trials being undertaken by large pharmaceutical companies To actually test out a loneliness pill, can you imagine taking a pill for your loneliness? It might soon be a reality. We now have what is termed hostile architecture. Yes, this is a real term. Narina shares in her book how councils around the world are installing in community spaces benches that are uncomfortable to sit on for long periods of time. So people like homeless people, young people can't stay in places too long and disturb the peace. Even in shopping centres, some developers have or councils have popped in high-pitched sounds that only youths can hear to stop them from congregating. These are just two examples of this new style of architecture called hostile architecture. And what's so interesting is think about how this impacts our community spaces, the spaces where we used to share and connect and have conversation, especially those random ones. Hey, I thought I might just press pause briefly and ask you a question. Are you a leader with a deep-seated passion for developing adaptable people who thrive both in and out of work? But do you have a team that is busy, burnt out and overwhelmed by uncertainty? If the answer is a massive hell to the yes, why not bring a little hacking happy into your workplace? 
check out my new range of keynotes and programs that can help you amplify the potential and most importantly, the happiness of your people. Go to hackinghappy.co to find out more. And now back to the podcast. Noreen also shares that how many governments post the global financial crisis significantly reduced funding in community spaces, namely libraries and parks. We all know our smartphones change our behaviour. Research has shown that strangers smile significantly less at each other when they have their smartphones with them. We no longer have shared lunch breaks with co-workers. It seems like such a small thing. But again, in Narita's book, Research conducted by MIT shows that workers who consistently informally connect are far and above more productive than those who don't. Many of us know that we prefer text over real conversation so that we can control and contain our interactions with one another, impacting how conversations evolve and our willingness to have difficult conversations whilst looking someone in the eye. We come together and sit side by side on our phones rather than actively being fully present and in a moment together. What does this tell us? The most overarching theme that Narina highlights is the rise of what is termed neoliberalism. And this rise has occurred since the 80s. In her words, it's an ideology with an overriding emphasis on freedom, free choice, free markets, freedom from government and trade union intervention. Now, I don't know about you, but sounds great, right? Sadly though, the evolution of neoliberalism has fed into more of the me that I mentioned earlier than the we. As Narina shares, neoliberalism has made us see ourselves as competitors, not as collaborators, consumers, not citizens, hoarders, not sharers, takers, not givers, hustlers, not helpers, people who not only are too busy to be there for their neighbours, but don't even know them anymore. Finally, loneliness long-term is detrimental to your health. Narina shares that if you are lonely, you have a 29% higher risk of coronary heart disease, a 32% higher risk of stroke, and a 64% higher risk of developing dementia. What's worse is you have a 30% higher risk of dying prematurely compared to someone who does not suffer from loneliness. I don't know about you, but that feels like an ouch. I wonder if you feel even lonelier just listening to these sad facts, because I can tell you that when I read this book, I was blown away. So much of it I had already researched through my work and had been sharing bits and pieces of it. But like I mentioned earlier, the way that it all came together in this interconnected spider web of human self-sabotage, it made it so disturbing. Now, this is all only a bite-sized sample of the mountain of research that Narina references in The Lonely Century. I don't know about you, but I don't want to continue to feel lonely. I don't want my son to grow up in a society that is lonely. And I don't want to live in a world where we don't have the time to truly connect with and listen to one another, even if our perspectives are completely different. So today I just want to share a couple of simple actions you can take, if you like, and if you've felt lonely or a little lonelier in the past year. Now, we can't change the world around us overnight but we can change how we choose to show up within it. So here goes. Let me ramble off a couple of things that I've been playing with that might be helpful. Firstly, try practicing one random act of kindness each day, something that shows another human that you care. It can be as simple as buying the next person's coffee, offering to carry the groceries for an elderly person, 
The reality is that the science shows that acts of kindness help us feel more connected to each other. They calm us, they make us feel more energized, and they also make us happier. If, like me, you feel disconnected from community because the nature of your work has changed, try going local. I signed up for my first yoga teacher training locally so that I could connect with other local yogis and build community that way. I joined a mastermind with other female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and again was fortunate enough to be able to have some human connection with them. I even did Zoom workouts online during lockdown with my gym community and whilst it's not the same as going to the gym and being humanly connected with them, it still helped me feel connected during lockdowns as we talked about the workouts, celebrated each other's successes in terms of what we achieved in those little sessions. Now, if you're a leader of a team, why not create a virtual team lunch break for people to connect informally if most of you are now working remotely? As I mentioned earlier, the productivity of teams that do that is way higher than those who don't. Get to know your barista or if you have a dog, go to the local park and walk it. Research shows that people who have dogs with them are more likely to be talked to than those who don't. Apparently you're less threatening. These are just some random human interactions that these are the little ones, yeah, with with strangers, with people that are not necessarily our friends, but they're so critical to helping us feel connected. Now this one's a bit of a leap, but I'm going to try it. Create a sign that says Buddy Bench, happy to chat like they did at my son's school. Take it to a local park bench, stick it on the bench, take a seat and see what happens. At my son's school, when you sit on the buddy bench, it means that you're open to conversation. And I wonder if we had more of these buddy benches in public spaces, how that might help to reinvigorate the feeling of community. Lastly, try entering a conversation with someone who looks at the world differently from you and be open to having your perspective shifted. Use that as your inspiration for the conversation and see where it takes you. You don't have to agree, but you may find you can better understand a different perspective and build your skill and empathy at the same time. I thought I would close out with perhaps the most powerful words I took away from reading The Lonely Century. Society isn't only done to us. We do society. We participate in it and we shape it. If we want to stop the destructive path of loneliness and restore community and cohesion, we will need to acknowledge that there are steps we must take, as well as trade-offs we will have to make between individualism and collectivism, between self-interest and societal good, between anonymity and familiarity, between convenience and caring, between what is right for the self and what is best for the community. I'm going to leave you with that thought. Have a beautiful rest of the week. Until next time, happiness looks good on you. Thanks for joining me for today's episode of the Hacking Happy podcast. If there was something that ignited a flame or sparked a thought within you from this conversation, please take a screenshot and share it on your preferred social media platform. Feel free to tag me in Hacking Happy Co., or Penny Lacalso. Reviews are so important to reaching my goal of making 10 million beautiful humans just like yourself happier. So if you enjoyed your listen, please take a moment, leave a review and a rating on your preferred podcast listening platform. Until the next episode, remember, happiness looks good on you. Bye for now.